There's a pretty nice view from Mountain Bill. I said Kathleen MacArthur to her friend Judith Wright on a bright summer's day. And I don't know about you, but my greatest fears are that someone will take all this beauty away. So let's fight. Oh, let's fight for it, I say. Where has all the country gone? Part two. A lunch hour theatre script by Kathleen MacArthur. Kathleen was described in the Sunshine Coast Daily as a bulwark against rampant development. And she was certainly that. She fiercely defended the environment she loved. She was also an educationalist who taught us to value and protect our environment and to be ever vigilant in our defence of our natural heritage so that it could be passed on to our children and to future generations. By the time the high dunes at Point Cartwright were being bulldozed down, the Wildlife Preservation Society had been established in Brisbane and people were given a backing for their cause. People had become conservationists overnight. Protests were sent to those responsible in Parliament, complaining of lowering of the dunes. The plan for the management of Kiwana was made in 1960, when nothing was known about dunes. They could have asked the Department of Harbours and Marine. They could have asked the people living at Southport, where the dunes had already been lost. It might have been done using an 18th century map if they had archives for such information. There was no question of correcting the situation before it was too late, which it was by 1972. The Caloundra branch of the WPSQ had written to the Caloundra City Council in 1971, advising them that the dunes had been lowered below the height set and were told the engineer would inspect it later. But later was too late. Two jolly cyclones called Wendy and Daisy danced in first and brought the sea in with them. An anonymous telephone call told me that bulldozers were trying to hold back the sea by pushing land seawards from the rear. Had the engineer inspected the situation before the new year, it would not have made any difference, as it was obvious the dunes had gone. Beaches get into the news in more ways than one. For a time, a section of Kiwana Beach was used by nudists and somehow, somewhere, sometime, was given the name Shangri-La. When monitoring that beach after the severe erosion of 1972-73, Shangri-La had to be passed through, after which it was easy to understand why people flocked to see the sights there. One commentator remarked, It was like nude ballet where some parts of the body kept dancing after the music had stopped. If the Lansborough Shire Council were to approve a free beach, Kawana Estates, like all altruistic developers everywhere, would simply cease development in that area for the benefit of the community. The developer pointed out... This stage included a school site not far removed, and therefore a free beach would be completely incompatible with the area. 
For our amusement, O Naturale wrote his, her views on this social matter in the letters to the editor of the newspaper. For your enlightenment... The Man from Shangri-La Sir, there was movement at the station for the word had passed around. A naked man was on the beach and must be quickly found. All other workers put aside, the force must use its time to catch the man responsible for such a heinous crime. The sergeant sounded the alarm, police from near and far, all tore off down the Nicklin Way and made for Shangri-La. They left the road and roared along the track towards the beach and pulled up near the sand dunes just as close as they could reach. A dozen startled bird watchers peered out from every tree and dropped their big binoculars and all began to flee. A group of happy tourists found they hadn't time to wait and fifty busy fishermen all started using bait. And there the man who caused the fuss was strolling by the sea, displaying all his attributes for all the world to see. He made a dash for freedom, but they wouldn't let him pass. Alas, said the inspector, you have been exposed at last. Well, law and order won the day and crime just doesn't pay. The crooks have lost their meeting place and all been scared away. So all those nature-loving folk who had a lot of sun must find another quiet beach to have their bit of fun. And people running shops and flats will lose their money fast. The crowds will not be coming back this year. And the last, for half the tourists on the coast who come from near and far, just come to see the nudists on the beach at Shangri-La. In order to fund significant conservation projects, the Wildlife Preservation Society needed to raise funds. Caloundra WPSQ held its first annual wildflower show in 1967. Spurred on by the success, we continued for five more years, but by which time development in the district was making it difficult to even find the season's usual species. In Brisbane, our friends hosted spring schools at Binneborough to educate our growing public of the importance of the Lamington National Park. Each programme contained lectures, films and tours covering every topic from science to poetry over nine days by volunteers from universities, CSIRO and the National Park Services. But behind the relaxed atmosphere of Binneborough, the WPSQ executive were deeply involved with the events taking place at the Mining Warden's Court at Innisfail, North Queensland. The case to protect Ellison Reef was to be their very first test of strength. Ellison is part of the Great Barrier Reef, being one of the numerous small inner reefs which border the northern ship passage. It lies about 18 miles east of Marillion Harbour, like many of these reefs, it has a considerable area of coral detritus, or so-called dead coral. One Mr D.F. Forbes, Secretary of the Cairns District Cane Growers Executive, 
had led an application to dredge the reef in order to obtain lime for cane farms. Which, Mr Forbes claimed, could be landed more cheaply from Ellison Reef than other lime mined on the mainland. At the time, and until quite recently, cane farms lined much of the Queensland coast, running parallel to the Great Barrier Reef itself. And from the mining point of view, that position placed stores of pure carbonate of lime within convenient reach of the cane farmers. Although this case was the first of its kind, it had the potential to spearhead a rush of other applications to mine the reef for the same purposes. So it was of utmost importance that all possible publicity be given to the details of such applications and that the case against them be presented as forcibly and clearly as possible in what was, in effect, a test case for the future. A total of 17 objections, protests and written statements were lodged against Mr Forbes' application. However, it was the case presented by the Wildlife Preservation Society's Innisfail branch, headed by the energy and enthusiasm of its president, John Bust, that first came up for hearing. In a shocking blow, and despite having amassed a vast amount of scientific opinions and evidence from overseas, the mining warden stated that he would not accept any written statements as evidence. Pertinent witnesses must appear in court. Bear in mind that Innisfail is a very long way from southern states and travel at the time was quite expensive. Meanwhile, in Brisbane, Eddie Hergel, the president of the University of Queensland Literal Society, also volunteered to send a scuba diving team to Ellison Reef to conduct an underwater survey of marine fauna. At the same time, our own Mr Bust had visited the Melbourne office of TAA and secured flights for all scientific witnesses, along with a university scuba diving team, to Innisfail at absolutely no cost. Then, in an equally generous gesture, the Avis rent-a-car company offered free ground travel. But it was a local, Mrs Allison Bust, who was even busier organising boats, supplies and accommodation for the scuba diving team, all of whom she generously entertained as well. The marine survey was a success. Although the weather was not perfect, it was kind enough to allow the scuba diving team to collect and identify 88 live coral species, 60 species of mollusk and 190 species of fish. They also photographed the underwater contours and surfaces of Ellison Reef, 
including the coral sand area. Since it was claimed by Mr Forbes and the cane growers that the reef was dead and that pollution would not affect either Allison Reef or any other area, this evidence was of great importance. Kathleen remained a passionate conservationist, an activist at heart, who, with the support of the WPSQ, kept a constant watch over her beloved Caloundra. Dr Tony O'Reilly, who owns our newspapers, now has predicted that the Sunshine Coast will be like Florida and California one day. Today, his paper reported details of the new Environment Bill before Parliament, through which ordinary citizens will have no power to halt environmental vandalism. Is it necessary? Is it inevitable? It would seem so, simply so the new suburbanites might migrate to the wide, open, fresh country where they expect the full range of city amenities, the reticulated water supply and complete with sewerage disposal, schools from kindy to varsity, hospitals, supermarkets, playing fields for every code and exotic palms for every roundabout. But undoubtedly the most important of them are the roads. They will need the roads to commute back and forth to the city. For where once we had countryside, there is now endlessly spreading suburbia, crisscrossed by highways and wide, impermeable sealed roads, straight roads, level roads. Highways have replaced the memory of tree or field-bordering roads winding through landscapes of hills and valleys, interspersed with open paddocks, plantations, pastures or crops, where free-ranging hens of mixed colours completed the Gruneresque watercolour picture of the well-balanced farm. Back then, the roads were winding because they followed the contours of the land. So the landscapes were continually changing and around every bend it was a new picture. In a 50-mile drive, the country exhibited a gallery full of charming pictures. And because the roads were narrow, fellow travellers had to share them with others, pulling aside, stopping to allow for the other fellow to cross a single lane bridge, using the horn at a blind corner, slowing down on the unsealed gravel stretch to prevent windscreen damage. The quality of communication between the people was like an unwritten invitation to go for a drive in the country. Now there is no country anymore. There are only roads. Straight, wide, level roads. Hills that once made pictures in the landscape have been removed. When a mountain is moved, time is saved, petrol is saved, and in the hypothetical economy of the future century, that must be good in theory. So we plan for the 21st century by sending the surveyors out to map reserve corridors for the future, eight-lane roads that we must have to keep up with Florida and California. And of course, all this development means extra power is needed, which has to be brought cross-country on the high-voltage lines. Nothing higher than a man is allowed to grow under the lines, with no consideration for the existing native fauna. The birds of the biosphere and the bacteria in the detritus aren't on the agenda for consideration of people's interest. Butterflies are okay, but certainly no caterpillars. Tidying up should be restricted to cities. It is for people and not for biological balance. The critic that is inside me says, if you hate the road so much, stay at home. I say I do. However, it is interesting to see 30 years in perspective. 
Take the glasshouses as a potential source of road-making material. Those seductive characters just sit there, tempting the main roads department. Some years ago, it was the public, led by a young farmer's wife, that saved Glasshouse Alimba from the clutches of a concrete firm that had an application before the Caboolture Shire Council for a quarry on it. There were councillors who would welcome the proposed chemical paper pulp mill on Pummerstone Passage. A coal port on Bribey was planned bringing the coal from the Darling Downs. Through a horrendously planned rail line, which should be kept in mind as it is highly likely to raise its ugly head again. They are canny, those planners, who, after a defeat, when the next time round comes, declare their lesson as established and indisputable facts. The public will be tested time and time again, and if those with the conscience and expertise are not allowed to say boo, there will have to be found a born-again saint to rise like a phoenix from the ashes of past crusades. As Douglas Stewart said in The Bishop, Woe is me. The waters are dark and the waves are high and we all grow tired of swimming. What's the point of eyes if there's nothing to see? It's crazy just how blind the world can be. It's not just for you and it is not just for me. It's for all the kaleidoscope of fish swimming on. podcast series was produced by the Sunshine Coast Council Heritage Library with the support of a strategic priority grant from the State Library of Queensland. This series was produced in 2022 and may not be reproduced for any commercial or non-commercial interest.